podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. This is episode 215 with the lovely Luke Worthington with his super sexy English accent. And we get into a lot of great stuff about assessments, movement, empathy. God damn, this is probably one of the best episodes where the single most important thing as a coach, and I would say human being, is to learn empathy. Fuck, I can't stress that enough. And Luke says it best in this episode. So here we go. Listen, learn, and here's Luke. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Machashevsky, and joining me today for the first time is Luke Worthington. Say hello. Hello. Perfect. Good to meet you all. Um, so I always like to start to show super easy questions to get the juices flowing. So the first easy question, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, it's a working weekend for me, okay. uh, I'm afraid. Well, actually not afraid. I'm actually working on a really, really super cool, very, very fulfilling project at the moment. So uh, I was going to say uh, afraid, but not afraid at all. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So next easy question, what is the current book you're reading or listening to? Oh, I can uh, I can tell you right away what that is because it's on my desk right in front of me, uh, which is Shoe Dog, um, which is the biography of the founder of Nike. Oh, cool. How, how yeah. far are you into it so far? Uh, midway. Okay. So it's yeah, it, it's still blue ribbon sports at the moment. Sweet. It hasn't yet become Nike. That's where I'm up to. Awesome. Um, so last easy question: Your hometown, where you're currently living, what's the thing to do if anyone had to visit? Well, where I live isn't isn't well. It just depends what you mean by hometown. So I live in London. I've been here for for longer than anywhere else. So I guess it is my hometown now. Uh, but I'm not actually from here. Um, but in in London, in my opinion, the, the thing to to do is is um, is actually like get out of the centre of London and check out like the real parts where people actually live. Um, most people when they come visit, they'll see the same five six tourist spots right in the centre of town. But my advice is like probably like any big city really get out the middle and actually see what goes on under the skin awesome um so to get this thing started let's do a little intro of who you are what you do and how did you get into this industry in the first place okay uh well yeah i um look uh and i've been in the industry for i suppose in various guises for quite a long time now for probably in, in various forms for about 20 years um, so my background is originally as a as a professional athlete. So I moved to London in my teens as a sort of fresh-faced, uh, if you like, seventeen-year-old. Um, originally to become a or hoping to become a rugby league player. So that's what that's what I dreamed of as a kid uh, growing up in the North of England. Um, moved down on a bit of a like wing and a prayer, really, um, probably quite foolishly, um, but it actually paid off in the end. Um, so managed to eventually, um, play for a couple of the big teams in London, um, did that sort of, uh, on, on and off, I suppose, really kind of had gaps in between contracts and gaps in between changing clubs. Um, and whilst, whilst those gaps existed and also as like a young player in those days, you didn't really make 
a lot of money. Um, so I needed to do something on the side. So health and fitness, personal training, strength and conditioning, that was very much what I was what I was doing, like on a in, in the background as that was going on. Um, and took it upon myself to take some qualifications, um, including an undergrad degree that I did at, at the time, uh, and have then gone on to do some postgrad bits and pieces in in various specialisms since then. Um, I've been sort of full time doing this since I, I stopped being a sportsman in 2004. So ever ever since then, it's been like the other side of the curtain, if you like. Um, originally. Originally, I had this dream. I suppose, I suppose is that a lot of people who are maybe getting into in, into this industry, or uh, or who've come from an athletic background as well, of right, I'm just going to work in pro sports. That's what I'm going to do, um, and that's so that's what I did. I thought I know lots of I know lots of people in pro sports. I know lots of athletes. I know lots of athletes who need some help, who need some training, um, and thought I would set myself up as like the guy. Um, I didn't know anywhere near as much as I thought I did <laughs> um, and basically spent most of my time on public transport going around people all over, not just London, but like all over the south of England um, who mainly like didn't want to pay me, <laughs> couldn't couldn't afford to pay me. Um, and it was like not quite as glamorous as I thought it, it maybe would. Um, so I ended up sort of going into... Uh, I suppose like mainstream health and fitness. Um, so ended up being in a, a commercial gym, a couple of different commercial gyms, but the one that I'm at at the moment, I've been at for coming up to nine years now, um, where I see my private clients. Um, and for the last two years, I've been part of the uh, the Nike network as well. So I've been a, a sort of a Nike trainer consultant for the last couple of years also, which kind of like keeps my reach pretty, pretty varied. Um, so I kind of juggle the two at the moment. Awesome. So I'm going to try to unravel all of that. Um, yeah. So the first yeah. thing is like, what got you into rugby in the first place? Like what kind of sparked that? Like, holy crap, I really want to play the sport. Um, the honest answer to that is like, as a kid, like you got to like knock the shit out of other kids and not get into <laughs> trouble for it. <laughs> it's like I get to, I get to run at people and knock them over, um, and I'm not going to get told off. Like in yeah. fact, like my teacher is going to tell me to do that again. Like <laughs> I, I I loved it. Awesome. Like it, it was that. It was like you, you're a young boy and you get to like do the stuff the boys want to do, <laughs> um, and it's and it's okay. Amazing. Um, so then when you started playing at a high level, like looking back at it, like what were kind of key takeaways from? like learning the professional side and maybe like some life lessons that you had from that experience? Um, I would say that there's some truth in the fact that it, that some of like the fun aspect of it goes, it, it starts to dissipate a little bit when something is a job as opposed to like a, a, a pastime. Um, but the, 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 if for me, it was like, it was all I wanted to do. Like, so from, like age, well, I can't remember as a kid wanting to do anything else. Like it was, it was that that was it. Like I was, I was obsessed with it. I was, I would watch everything. I would read everything I possibly could. Um, you know, it was like, and the particular, you know, one of the particular teams that I ended up playing for, that was all I wanted to do. Like that, that was, you know, it was, that was my goal. Um, so I suppose one of the sort of maybe downsides of achieving that is that you achieve it um 
So if you have like a lifelong goal and then you age like 21, like you've done it, it's then like, oh shit, now, now what? Like that was a, it was, it was more of that side really of like, oh, okay, like I need, like I, I, I need something else to aim at. Like I've aimed at this and now I've done it. And, and what do I do next? Um, there was a bit of a, that moment for me really. Did you at all feel like lost at one point or did you kind of know where uh, you wanted to be? Uh, absolutely. Because I, at the same time as achieving it, as you, so achieving the goal of like pulling on the shirt, it was like an unbelievable moment in my life of like, right, I've actually done this and I've now, you know, with pro sports here in the UK, there's like this, that there's a still this kind of traditional thing around it where there'll be like a team shirt and tie and suit combination and like the tie is like quite a big thing the actual like necktie so like getting handed that and like putting on the shirt for the first time like that was that was like a real moment um but i also came to realize not too long after that that i was never going to be like a megastar so i was never like i had like pictures on my walls as a kid of like all of these great players and i thought actually no kids are going to have any pictures of me on their walls like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be that guy like i'm i was good enough to like be signed for a premier league team and play games for a premier league team and you know i've got the shirt i've got the i've got the tie i've got those things like in a box somewhere in this apartment still um but i was never going to be like a megastar so at the same moment as like right i've achieved this goal was a okay i'm going to need something else like I'm going to need to do something else because this is not, I'm not going to make my fortune doing this. I'm not going to like be, you know, I'm never going to go to the world cup. I'm never going to do any of these things that I thought actually they, they are, they are where this could potentially go. I realized that there is always someone bigger, faster, stronger than you. Um, and perhaps, perhaps this is as high as it's, as it's going to get. Um, and that was, um, so that kind of, you know, the, the question about was there a moment of feeling lost? Yeah, there was a moment of like, okay, like I've done this, but it hasn't like, it, you know, it hasn't, my life is not complete, you know. Um, so there was a there was a definite moment of something else needs to happen. Like I, this is not going to last forever. Um, uh, I am not going to probably get any further than I've already got. So I need to have a plan B. No, fair enough. And I think that's a good thing because like a lot of people are not self-aware enough to actually realize something like that. And that can go into like any facet of life of like you being at a job that's not going to take you anywhere and you just hammer away your life. And if you didn't realize that, hey, maybe I can have a different opportunity that's actually better. Like those are those are like real like life situations that you need to be good at. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, hence taking some qualifications in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I work now, like I have some clients who are just starting out on their, like, their professional careers. And, you know, they're coming to me with questions all the time about injury prevention and improving performance and this, that and the other. And, and I'm saying back, yeah, this is all well and good, but also have something else. Like, you get a lot of downtime as a, as a young athlete, a lot of time when you're not training, when you're just, like, meant to be recovering, relaxing, like, 
do something else. You know, take take a course, yeah. read a book, like, do to have something, because you're going to need it. Like you you are. Even if these days, like players are earning like a, a lot of money, and they might well be like financially secure, but if your career is over when you're 30, 31 years old, like you need something to occupy your brain for hopefully the next yeah. 40, 50, 60 years, however long you go on for. Um, so the next question I think would be good is like for yourself, like did you experience any kind of like injuries while playing or were you one of the lucky ones that didn't hurt themselves at all? Um, no, I experienced all kinds of injuries. Um, some quite serious. Uh, so uh, one was a compression fracture at L4, um, which had some quite serious sort of neurological outputs, if you like, that I that still affect me right, you know, today. Um, and this, so this is going back like probably well, 15 years. Um, there, um, so there, you know, there are still issues that I I have today as a result of that. Um, I had some like all the kind of run-of-the-mill stuff that you'd expect, like fractures everywhere of, you know, collarbone, nose, cheekbones, jaw, like all this kind of the standard. <laughs> um, uh, I had some quite um, some quite persistent uh, shoulder problems that um, were actually, in a way quite fortuitous um which is you know though the the long-standing shoulder problems that carried on way after i quit playing were actually what caused me to seek out some of the professionals in my industry now that then became i suppose role models mentors now colleagues and friends um that have helped me kind of create a entirely new career um so in some ways it was like you know there's absolutely is a silver lining to that and that you know some injuries caused me to seek out some people that ended up being like awesome influences on my life like what's the most common like injury in rugby uh good Dif- difficult to say i mean like it's a high it's a high impact sport yeah. you know you've got like you know you've got 100 120 kilo guys running full speed right into each other i mean that's a that's a lot of like blunt force trauma yeah uh, so fractures, fractures are huge um like just the impact fractures are, are huge concussions are huge there's a whole like discussion going on in that world now about uh, you know same as the same as that you had in in north america on on like your football mm-hmm. um on you know head injuries concussions long-term effects of that there's a lot of a lot of stuff about that at, at the moment um as well as like just the standard, you know, standard team sport strains, you know, like you you, you see a whole ton of like adductor strains, hamstring strains, like a lot of things that are probably preventable with, or certainly you could certainly minimize them with um, the application of some some proper kind of movement science in the training room um which is kind of where i come in really now that's where i I do a lot of my work um so you know it's it's an injury rife sport it's like your career is going to end um and the teams that do well are the teams that manage to keep most of their players like off the treatment table for more weeks the season like but they're all going you're going to get injured like that's the way it is like you're not going to get through a season and not get injured yeah, like, I'm kind of curious, too. I don't know if you know the stat or anything, but, like, here in North America, like, yeah, concussion talk is huge when it comes to the NFL. 
but I'm kind of curious, like, what's the concussion rate in rugby compared to the NFL? Are they similar? Is the NFL more? Is rugby more? Like, do you know anything about that? Um, a, a little bit, yeah. Okay. And some of it is a little bit controversial in that, I mean, I couldn't quote you some stats off the top of my head. Sure. Um, I'd have to check those. But um, just in terms of some of the some of the policies and some of the things that have that have happened there are there was a big um inquiry like committee that was uh, commissioned a couple of years ago on exactly this um and in in my opinion and the opinion of people who work kind of independently of like sporting organizations you know, i'm a i'm a freelancer um i have a network of uh you know i'm not a medical professional i'm a strength and conditioning coach who happens to have a biomechanics kind of bias and, and specialism. Um, but I have a network of medical professionals that I refer out to, that refer into me and, and that I uh, collaborate with on a daily basis. Um, some of whom have, have been consulted on some of these, um, you know, some of these issues, these concussion studies. And the general feeling of those outside of the sporting organizations is that the studies were not adequate. Um, and what tends to have come out of them is there have been no what they call deaths on the pitch. Therefore, everything is fine. Therefore, um, the procedures that they have in place um, are don't need updating. That everything is okay. But there have been many, many, many deaths on a treatment table and in a hospital bed with, of people who have been knocked out on the pitch and have not regained consciousness. Therefore. Clearly, you can say that is a death as a result of that injury, but because it hasn't been a death on the pitch, the 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 analysis comes out to say the safeguards we have in place are appropriate because there have been no deaths on the pitch. Um, it, it's slightly, in my opinion, and the opinion of a lot of people I collaborate with, that's slightly um, slightly warping the truth um, because clearly, if if there is an issue there is a head injury someone loses consciousness and they never regain it like i count that as a death on the pitch even if it happened like two days later on a hospital bed that's you know it, it, that incident occurred earlier yeah I, I think also the big problem too is like a lot of people just don't know when to come back to the sport because a lot of people like yeah. they'll get knocked out they're like yeah you have a concussion and maybe on average they'll wait like two weeks and they're already back playing whatever they're playing but yeah. Now, like, there's a couple of Kairos in my circle that actually have, like, a concussion protocol. And one in particular that I work with, he has a whole football team that he uh, was associated with. And every season, he does the concussion protocol to see if they're ready or not to actually play. And, right. In terms of an assessment protocol. Yeah, essentially. And right. I'm like, more teams need to do something like this. But I, I guess yeah. at the professional level, it's like if you're telling your star player that you can't play the organization's not going to be too happy about losing millions of dollars. Like basically every single hour, they're not playing on the field. Yeah. Cost you money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so the next thing I kind of want to get into is like, who's your clientele? Like, who are you currently training? Like who, what's the, is it general population, a athletic types? Like who is it? Um, it's, it's really very, very varied at the moment. Um, so obviously like, my background is pro sports. I still have some, you know, a significant number of pro sports clients. Um, in but in a, it's in a variety of sports, like everything from track through to track cycling, through to snowboarding. Yeah, I still have one or two of the 
currently the rugby players I, I work with football our football that is um i mean i've you know boxing mma I, I i've worked with i had to do a little like biography for um for someone quite quite recently and uh I, a line that they picked out when i kind of gave them way too much information was um like successfully trained world champions in five different sports and and i and I, that's a that's a a stat i'm quite quite proud of really um because it's quite diverse it's seeing the person as the athlete and some of these sports are, are like sports I, I i hadn't even watched you know like you know lacrosse for example like it's not, not something I, I i don't know the rules but i i do know what um what makes a human being more athletic and, and move better um so it's approaching the athlete as the athlete um is is the i suppose the commonality um to to answer the question of who the current client base is it's everything from that through to yeah general population um i am working a lot at the moment with people in like fashion entertainment industries uh which is just i suppose as a result of some of the work some of the, if some of the work that you do becomes i i guess of reasonable profile and, and people start to take notice of it then that's the kind of work that tends to find you rather than you finding it. Um, so that's been a, a thing of a new thing really over the last sort of year, year and a half, um, like training people for, I, I guess, film roles um, that might be quite athletic film roles. Uh, so that it's not just a, right, you're going to have your shirt off in this film. So we're going to put you through this plan. It's a, right, well, you're going to have to jump over this and shoot a gun and crawl under that. So you're going to have to move well, as well as, look like a badass you're gonna to have to actually do stuff um so a couple of projects like that which have been awesome like i like that's like you know again the sort of stuff that you think of as a kid that that would be cool um like getting to do some of that is, is pretty awesome um but as well as through some of the work i do with nike actually um like a lot of work with people who don't have who wouldn't otherwise have access to i, I suppose not to be too blunt about it, but like expensive professionals uh, and expensive specialists. Um, there's a lot of work I do with Nike on behalf of Nike that is like giving access to like sporting facilities, but also um, to specialist knowledge uh, and you know people who who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. Is the there's not to put too fine a point on it. Um, so like and that's the. The project I'm doing this weekend, for example, is a big, big part of that. Uh, it's a big educational project in uh, what's quite a deprived area of South London. Um, you know, giving health, fitness education to people who don't have access to it. Um, so that's a which is a massively fulfilling project um, and something that is something. It's something I feel quite strongly about. It's a you know in that. Uh, there's an enormous correlation in you know, my country as well as yours and, and in most developed countries really between people's like socioeconomic status and their both their physical and their mental health and well-being and that should not be the case like um, those of us in our fields whether they're health fields fitness fields medical fields have obviously invested time effort money in our own knowledge um and therefore i clearly want to be remunerated when, when we choose to share that um but what that then creates is, is if you you know you can have access to the best of the best only if you can pay for it 
Um, therefore, if you can pay for it, you're going to live longer, you're going to be out of pain, you're going to have a better quality of life because you can afford to pay for the specialist help to give you that. Um, and if you can't, then tough shit, you're going to go without. And all of these little body problems that you might have um, to do with your health, to do with your movement, your mobility, your access to a quality of life is greatly reduced simply because you can't afford it. Um, so there's a, quite a few of these projects I'm doing on behalf of with the support of Nike are kind of along those grounds, uh, which is like a massive contrast to some of my private clients. Um, yeah. So it sort of it kind of offsets, if, if you like. It's like, you know, the rich and the famous and the beautiful. And then on the other hand, like, um, the, you know, the people who can't, you know, they can't afford gym membership, let alone like to engage with, you know, to engage with a professional. Yeah. So how did you get in touch with Nike? Like, did you go to them or did they just find you? Based um, it's, on... it's the other way around, actually. They, um, so they come to, they, they come to you. Um, the way it's a, it's a question I get asked a lot, actually, um, is, oh my God, how do you get that? They're like, is that sponsorship deal? Like they're athletes. It's, it's not at all. Um, yeah, they do sponsor athletes and a lot of athletes in lots of sports all around the world. But the trainer network is is nothing like that. The trainer network is, uh, I suppose, designed and created to be the authority on training and fitness and movement. Um, so they recruit people into that network who they believe represent their values. It's, it's in this, uh, so that's the the most simple way of explaining it. Um, the there isn't a you know, it's not like those job vacancies and you apply for it. It's like it doesn't really work that way. It's it's something that you know, they will become aware of people in various disciplines who they think represent what they stand for um, and can you know add some value. And they they then go after them um, and and look to see if it would work. Uh, it's quite a it's quite a gradual organic process, really. My kind of onboarding was a sort of six month long process of oh, wow. meeting different people and, and talking about what you wanted to do and what you wanted to, you know, changes that you might want to see in the industry and all kinds of different things. Um, and, and then, uh, I suppose a, a summary of, is this aligned with what we can do? Can you know, should we be working together? And, and if the answer is yes, then it kind of, it goes from there. Amazing. Um, so the next thing I want to get into, and it's probably going to be the bulk of this chat is like assessment. So, um, I was fortunate enough to check out the trainer toolbox that you, Dean, and oh, yeah. Tony, and everyone else was in it. And <laughs> yeah. um, I'm kind of curious of like, what's your kind of like go-to assessment? Like, there's so many different types out there. Like, there's FMS, TPI, PRI. Like, there's so many different stuff out there. So, yes. have you kind of like created your own assessment for a majority of the people, or do you kind of like get the background of a client and see what what's going on, and then kind of choose the direction you go in? Um, yeah, second one. <laughs> um, so I try and get background information as we're going. Um, but still I, I, I find, you know, my experience with, with clients is that they'll tell you what they think you want to hear rather than the whole story. So, you know, you'll get someone is, is someone tends to come to you with a bit of an idea of what they're going to get back, um, whether they're correct or not. Um, they'll be, Oh, this guy does this. Like, I don't know what he's going to do. So therefore I need to tell him about that. And I don't need to tell him anything else. Um, you know, I need, I need to tell him about my like, you know, asymmetrical hip internal rotations. Like, I, you don't need to tell me that. Like, we can find that out. Um, I, I want to know about 
you know how someone sleeps eats feels like what's going on in their life like that's going to give me a, a bit of a a bit of a broad picture um but really i don't believe in um you know when you gave me a heads up email about this you kind of listed like you know all, all of those protocols that you you just laid in and a few more too um i don't really believe that there is any one protocol that anyone should be rigidly following and kind of following an algorithm and a flowchart out and saying well I see this, therefore I implement X, Y, Z. Um, I don't think that is the way that we should be thinking. Um, I firmly believe that you can take principles of a number of different assessment methods um, and essentially create your own your own algorithm. Like what you know, you, you see this and then and then generally look in that direction is is how I approach it, um, as opposed to see this and apply apply that. Um, I don't really believe in following like a specific flowchart through on an assessment. I believe in conceptually looking at, a, you know, when I teach people how to assess, I teach people how to make their own assessments. I don't teach them my assessment protocol. I teach them concepts and encourage them to take those concepts and apply it in their own world. You know, if, if you're a swimming coach, your assessment is going to look very different or it should look very different to if you're, I don't know, a skiing coach. Like the demands of your athlete are going to be vastly different therefore your starting points with them should be vastly different and questions you ask are going to be different some of the movements you look at might be different but the overall concepts should be the same yeah i i think a lot of times like coaches make the mistake of like all right i am a fms guy and that's all i'm thinking about but sometimes you just exactly. have to like yeah. think outside the box like for me personally like I use the FMS as like a baseline, but if I like see something and I know the person's like how you said a swimmer, maybe I'm going to do some other assessments that are like, it's like a breakout assessment from the shoulder mobility thing in the FMS and get more information and kind of tailor it yeah. to the person. Cause you never know when yeah. the person comes in front of you and does something weird, you're like, Holy crap, they didn't teach anything about this in the FMS. So I gotta. Yeah, so, 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 you're, so you're a zero and that's it. And then you get <laughs> yeah. the zero for this and, and then we're, and then we're, like, we're done. Um, you know, so you, you, you mentioned FMS. That's one of those things that, um, you, you, you know, I think FMS, I mean, all, all power to it in that what it did do, what FMS did um, is it got a larger group of movement professionals to look at movement. You know, and, I, and as a movement professional, I cover like personal trainers, group exercise instructors, strength and conditioning coaches, like the whole the whole shebang. I, uh, what FMS did was brought looking at how somebody moves out of the shadows and into like, you know, the mainstream. And it became a, and it's like, OK, now at least have a look. So what it did do was get a lot of people who weren't having a look to have a look and try and make some kind of judgment call um, where I think it has gone too far or has gone a bit off its originally intended course is exactly what you just said in terms of like originally applying this formula as to right i've got you know dave from the accounts department right in front of me who's got one shot to do his overhead squat assessment and if he gets it wrong because i had a did a shit job of explaining it or he's never done it before that's it Right, you're in you're in the you're in the bad pile, Dave, and you've got a zero, and and that's it. And now you're on this corrective program, and you don't get to do any of the stuff that you wanted to do. You get to do this and only this because that's what the formula says. Um, that's where I think it's 
doing us a little bit of a disservice. It's not in its design, it's in its application. I, I think it's a I think it's an awesome product and an awesome concept. But what has happened is it's become so widely embraced and so rigidly applied that we're now kind of doing the opposite of its intention. Its intention was to get more people looking at movement and to therefore get more people moving, but it's being applied in such a way in gyms, in commercial gyms, that you're getting people come from the street failing, which is a word I hate when it comes to assessment, a movement assessment and being put on like, you know, a corrective strategy regime that's that's basically just telling them they're crap. It's like, you can't do this. Here's all the stuff that you can't do. And so now you get to do all this stuff, which is no fun because you're broken. Uh, and and it's it's being applied in this way that's putting lots of people in like the broken pile. Um, you, you know, and, and in a, a general fitness gen pop environment, that's like the worst thing we can do. Like these guys have already done the hard bit. They've walked through our doors. They've booked an appointment. They've booked in with a trainer. They've like, they're there for their assessment. They've showed up. The worst possible thing we can now do is tell them all the stuff that they can't do. Like, it's that's like it's just you know to to me that's like sacrilege you know we we should have a goal of getting more people exercising moving learning about their bodies you know just doing stuff get more people doing more stuff it would be like my message to the world <laughs> but by too rigidly applying assessments and not fully understanding what they're there for we're kind of taking people who are already motivated to do stuff and saying you don't get to do stuff you don't get to do any more of the fun stuff. You get to do all of this crappy stuff that you don't want to do, that you don't really understand. And you're going to ask me what it's for, and I say I don't really know. But like, you know, the app that I programmed your results into said this is what you get to do. Um, that's where I think we go wrong. Like, I'm all about assessments, and you know, the the toolbox that you mentioned, like that's my that's my module on there is like I'm all about it. Like, know your starting point, find out about your client, create something bespoke to them, but do it in the right way, do it in an empowering way that gives people more access to movements that they can do, but just make sure that we're looking after them safely as opposed to shutting off access to activities um, and and like rigidly applying things that we, that, that we don't fully understand. Um, I, I don't believe that like an assessment protocol is something that you can learn like in a day or from an app or, or you know, or anything like that. I think it's something that you you can you should be learning concepts like mechanical concepts all of the time um constantly updating your kind of your like choreography if you like of how you move through it how you move around the person how you interact with that person should be a constantly evolving thing um and you should be looking to understand what and one what makes this person tick and two like how can i get this person doing stuff because that's what they're here for like this person is stood in front of me because they want to do stuff whether it's get fitter, faster, stronger, lose some weight, feel a bit better. Like they're here for that. They're not here to be like, you know, picked apart. No, hundred percent. And I think like when I first started and I got FMS certified, the one thing I started switching is like the scoring. Cause people like clients would be like, Oh, what, what was that a three? Was that a two? And then it became like, you know, if they got a one or a zero, they felt really bad about themselves. So I don't even exactly. score it anymore. Yeah. I would just see, if they can do it or not and they will feel if like their squat feels off and i'm like yeah so your program's going to reflect on building a better squat and then we'll eventually get to the back squat and now they're like a little bit more motivated to like all right so i got to work on this this and this like my back squat's going to get better 
And I think yeah, yeah. it's like as long as you learn the rules, you can kind of blend the rules or break them a little bit in. Yeah, making, and that's applying yeah. intuition to yeah, it, and which is the main thing. That's applying, you know, intuition and empathy. Um, you know, so it's a, a question I get asked loads at the time, like either in situations like this or like, you know, in seminars or wherever is like, oh, what's the what's the top skill that you, you can learn as a trainer to to be successful? And like and they're thinking it's, you know, I I, I like embraced the PRI um, educational system like a, a few years ago and, and racked up a whole load of air miles going back and forth across the Atlantic to um, to take all of all of their modules, which have been fantastic. Um, but people are expecting that kind of answer, like, ah, okay, well, you need to do, you know, my kinematic restoration, and you do it twice, and you, like, they're thinking that, they're thinking something super technical is the skill set that I'm going to talk about. But um, the number one skill, I think, that, that distinguishes success, successful trainers and unsuccessful trainers is, is empathy. Um, it, it, that's it. Like the person stood in front of you has got to believe that you have their best interests at heart, which means you got to have their best interests at heart. Like you've got to like give a shit basically about about your client, like care about them um, and continue to continue to care about them. Um, you know, it's, it's something um, like Tony, uh, uh, Tony Jensen that is like wrote a piece about that, like got years ago, like, and, uh, and it was someone had asked him something along the lines of like secret to his success, and he he said like continue to give a shit every single day, and like <laughs> that's that's it really. <laughs> like you know, it, like having empathy with your client is like the number one skill you can learn. No, oh, that's probably like the best quote probably in this last twelve months of my podcast because like honestly like empathy is huge, and I oh like a. At the gym that I work at, I'm kind of in charge of all the new trainers coming in and like, you know, teaching them the systems, how to train. But I'm like, y you can have all the knowledge in the world, but it doesn't mean shit if you can't connect to the person in front of you. Right. Exactly. So yeah. empathy is yeah. number one. But um, I think that would be a good place to kind of end it. And maybe for the last question is if people wanted to find out more about you, where can they find you online and any other projects that are coming out that you want to plug on my show? You can right now. Oh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the big one currently is the one that you kindly mentioned, which is a collaboration with Tony, Dean, and, and uh, various other people as well, um, which is uh, Complete Trainers Toolbox, which is uh, available right now. Um, and that is that gives you 17 hours of digital content covering everything from assessments, which is which is my bag, through to programming, through to the softer skills, through to, which is uh, Tony's wife, Lisa, um, uh, it has a module on psychology on on overcoming negative thinking, whether that is negative self-talk, uh, whether it's your own thinking, whether it's your client's thinking, um, how to get under someone's skin, and you know, which loops back to what we just discussed with empathy. Like the the idea of the toolbox is that this should be the answer to most problems that you know traders going to come across problems like technical you know, business skills, whatever. And our, what we thought was amongst this group of people, we should be able to answer most of them. Yeah. So we got 17 hours of content, uh, which is uh, CPD accredited. So you get some uh, Con Ed credits as well through NSCA or whoever else. It's all transferable. Um, and 
obviously I think it's an awesome resource because I'm on it, but it's an awesome resource. So yeah, check that out. Um, I've got a, a seminar series coming up as well. Some collaborations with uh, with Tony on both sides of the Atlantic. So here in London um, and also in Boston, oh. uh, looking at something in California as well. Um, and also a collaboration with Sue Falsoni, who yeah, who's, who's, who's awesome um, uh, here in London. Um, we're tacking that on to the, um, she's here for the uh, Red Sox Yankees game in London. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're tacking it on to the, the tail end of that. Um, and the, that's a, your series uh, is a Nike contact. She sits on the Nike Performance Council. So in, in terms of like the Nike trader group, she's kind of like my boss. Um, but uh, really looking forward to that. I mean, like love her work. Uh, and I think that'll be, that'll be a super cool thing to, to work on. Um, so yeah, keep eyes peeled on you know my social channels and my website is where I'll be announcing all of those dates and how to how to access them. Um, we are going to do a um, a sequel to the toolbox or like an update. Uh, so all of us will be will be making lots of noise when that happens. But we're super happy with the content that's on there. But like like most projects, you kind of like you create them, you think. Actually, that would work nicely to add this in too. So uh, you know, we're, there's going to be an update, um, and you know, when that's live, we'll, we'll make sure we let you know. Awesome! So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you. Boom! That's going to wrap up episode 215 with Luke Worthington. Hopefully, you enjoyed that one as much as I did because he was freaking awesome. And again, pre-sale list link in the show notes of this episode. If you want my first ever ebook, The Ironclad Body Training System, hit the show notes of this episode, put your name and email in, and you will get an email first before anyone else to download the book and get strong, move better, feel better, and become the overall badass in your gym. And you will get that special discount because you are a listener of this show. So thank you. And again, I'm going to say this at the end of every single episode, share, 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 share this podcast with your friends and family, and I will be forever grateful and in your debt. Until next week, you guys.